Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Yeah, my name is Dong Jun. Uh, I'm an ordained pastor in the church in South Korea. And as you, as, as you introduced myself, I recently finished my doctoral studies for Christianity here in Edinburgh. Um, thank you for inviting me to preach today. And it is my honor and it's my pleasure to meet you and to have a fellowship with you in God's word. Uh, the, ch the church has been looking at First Peter for a sermon series, and you has given me First Peter chapter three, verses thirteen to twenty-two to, to preach about. Uh, please open your Bibles to today's text. Before examining this text, uh, it'd be helpful for us to remind ourselves of the two the two Christian identities which Peter highlights throughout this letter. These two are our identities as both sojourners and residents in this world. As you have heard uh, from previous sermons in the last few weeks, Peter, on the one hand, highlights that Christians are sojourners in this world. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says that, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. But Peter also tells us that Christians are residents in this world. This is why he tries to guide the Christians reading this letter how to engage in a godly way in their society, household, and among fellow Christian believers, as you have been looking at in 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3. So Peter teaches us these Christian identities at the same time. In this sense, as one biblical scholar has said, First Peter steers between resistance and conformity, which each represent the identity of Christians as sojourners and residents. One of the reasons why I think why Peter's teaching on the two, two, the two Christian identities remain important to us is because we often lean towards one of these two identities. In other words, in Peter, in, first, uh, in other words, first Peter, which balances between the two Christian identities as sojourners and residents in this world, help us to assess which of the two we tend to lean toward, both as individual Christians and as a Christian community. Let's keep this general theme and its implication in mind, and let's look at today's text, First Peter chapter three and verses uh, three, verses thirteen to twenty-two. This text starts with uh, Peter's general expectation of what will happen if we do good. Verse thirteen says that now, who is there to harm you if you are jealous for what is good? It means that your deeds for righteousness will usually produce good results. There is a Korean proverb, Korean proverb that says, no one spits on a smiling face. No one spits on a smiling face. This is ex exactly what verse 13 talks about. It is normally difficult to criticize or insert someone who is doing good. But, but we know that this isn't always what happens. In verse 14, we see that while doing good generally leads to good results for us, this may not always be the case. It says that, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
First Peter doesn't deny that we might suffer while pursuing righteousness. Instead, this letter invites Christians to embrace, uh, to embrace the possibility of suffering while pursuing righteousness and to follow a righteous path even if we suffer because of it. This is a very high moral calling for Christians. In emphasizing this calling, Peter compares suffering for doing good and suffering for doing evil. In verse 14, uh, 17, he states that it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter had already emphasized this point in chapter 2, verse 20. He said, he said that our suffering while doing evil is worthless, but our suffering while doing righteousness is valuable. Peter is calling uh, Christians to follow a high moral standard, one in which we willingly embrace suffering while pursuing righteousness. This high Christian calling has led me, led me to reflect on myself and Korean Protestant Christianity, which is my background, and I hope that you will see why those matter for you and your church too later in this sermon. I don't know if you, uh, you, if you have ever watched a Korean drama called it The Glory. Is there anyone who watched this before? Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it is a multi-part multi Netflix series that has become very popular in South Korea and many other countries, including the UK. The storyline of this drama is quite simple. Uh, the heroine is a victim of terrible violence at school from class classmates. The story follows her as she seeks revenge against her bullies who continue to live in power and wealth without repenting for their past and ongoing evil deeds. I was particularly interested in this drama because one of the five bullies whose name is Isara, that's a Korean name, Isara. She is a drug addict and commits many crimes, but the important thing is that she is portrayed as a Christian. She is a daughter of a Korean megachurch senior pastor. As you may notice, her Korean name, Sara, comes from Sarah in the Bible, Abram's wife. And in the drama, she uses a lot of Christian language, particularly to justify her crimes and evil deeds. From my perspective, this caricature of Korean Christianity in the drama is exaggerated. But it is true that many non-Christians in Korea see Korean Christianity in that way. And it is also true that Korean Christians, including myself, um, including myself, have often not been so different from non-Christians in our moral standards and have sometimes been worse than them. As a result, we cannot deny that we have helped to make this negative image of Christianity. And at this point, I think of 1 Peter verse 17, which states that it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. If we consider the negative image of Christianity in the eyes of the public as a form of suffering for Christians, 
Can we confidently say that this suffering is given to us while pursuing righteousness, not because of doing evil things? My answer within the Korean context is no. We do not always suffer because we did what was right. What about your life? Or what about Christians in Scotland or the UK as a whole? If our answer cannot be a confident yes, then we need to seriously think about Peter's call to suffer while practicing righteousness. In the introduction of today's sermon, uh, I explained that First Peter shows our two Christian identities as sojourners and residents in this world, and that we tend to lean toward one of these two. And when I honestly look back and reflect on myself, I often discover that I tend to incline towards my resident identity rather than my sojourner identity. In other words, I'm so deeply rooted in and conformed to this society that I rarely find myself living differently from other people in this world. For instance, my reaction to unjust disadvantages or harms is not fundamentally different from that of others. Like many people, I often lose patience when I face such unfair treatment. Like many people, I can't help but feel deeply aggrieved by unjust suffering. As a result, I often feel like when anyone slaps me on the right cheek, I'm ready to respond with a reciprocal slap on the right cheek of the person rather than turning the other cheek as Jesus taught us. I often feel like when anyone takes my tunic, I'm ready to respond by taking their tunic as well rather than letting them have my cloak also, which contradicts Jesus' teachings. Of course here, I'm not saying that we should be weak and simply allow evil to hurt us and the people we love, or that feeling angry because of unjust suffering is wrong. There is a time that we have to resist against the evil and feeling angry because of unjust suffering is quite natural and biblical. But here, uh, Peter is challenging us whether in our daily lives, our response, our response to such treatment is not significantly different from other people in this world. By being so deeply rooted in this society, we often lose the sacrificial spirit which Jesus and Peter in today's text urged Christians to follow. As verse 17 says, Peter urges us to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. First Peter chapter 2 verses 20 to 21 clarifies this point by stating it like this. For what credit is it if when you sin and are bitten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called it. After emphasizing the value of suffering for the sake of righteousness, 
Peter discusses Christian attitude uh, during suffering in verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, he says, Have no fear of them and nor be troubled. This can be translated as, Do not be afraid of those who may harm you, even when you are eager to do good. Then in verse 15, he goes on to encourage Christians during suffering to honor Christ the Lord as holy and to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice that Peter talks about the Christian hope with the expectation that non-believers, despite not all of them, will definitely ask about it. According to Peter, the Christian hope appears to non-believers through the life of Christians. And based on what they see, Peter says they will ask about this hope. And I think one of the primary ways that our uh, one of the primary ways that our Christian hope is displayed to people in this world is through our suffering for righteousness. First, first Peter chapter two verse twenty says that if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Yes, suffering for doing good, doing doing what is right is precious to God. But it, is, but it is also significant to people in this world. That is because when people see us enduring unjust suffering for the sake of righteousness without becoming discouraged, they will be curious about the hope that is in us. In this way, our unjust suffering for righteousness will be a powerful means of displaying our Christian hope to the world. We Christians are called to ex exhibit this hope to the world through our suffering for righteousness. In terms of this Christian hope that we need to display and explain to the world, it is interesting that Peter describes it in a communal way. When Peter says, the hope that is in you, in verse 15, you here is in the plural form. In other words, as Christians, we share the same hope in Christ and work together to display and explain it to the world. And I think this communal aspect of the Christian hope can be applied on both local and global levels. On a local level, we can think of our local church community, Chinese Evangelical Church in Edinburgh, CECE, as a place where we are encouraged by our fellow church members who share the same hope in Christ and join together in facing unjust suffering for righteousness. And it is our common goal to work towards making our local church community even more reflective of this communal value of the Christian hope. And on a global level, we can think of global Christian communities in other contexts who share the same hope in Christ, but in many cases experience serious persecutions and sufferings for righteousness. 
The communal aspect of Christian hope, which Peter highlights in today's text, encourages us to remember their sufferings and pray for them. So, so we've been seeing that God may call us to suffer for righteousness and that we are to suffer well with hope. But why do Christians remain hopeful even during unjust suffering for righteousness? Peter's first answer to that question is found in verse 18, which states, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one, also endured unjust suffering and gave his life for unjust people like us. His suffering and sacrifice made it possible for us to approach the Holy God. By embracing unjust suffering for righteousness, we walked the same path that Jesus trod. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 21 affirms, For to this, this means unjust suffering for righteousness, For to this, you have been called it, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Therefore, Christians remain hopeful, even during unjust suffering for righteousness, because the suffering signifies that we, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus, our Lord. And that is because we know that our obedient steps on the path of Jesus help us to understand more about the profound love of Christ for us and our demonstration of Christian hope through our suffering for goodness might lead someone to draw closer to Jesus Christ. As well. Furthermore, Christians remain hopeful even during unjust suffering for righteousness because Jesus Christ, who died for us, was resurrected, and through his resurrection, Christ has demonstrated his dominion and supremacy over all forces, whether human or angelic or demonic, that might pose a threat to Jesus' followers. This is precisely what First Peter chapter three verses eighteen to twenty-two tells us. Christ has risen, and triumphed over his enemies. As verse twenty-two states, all angels, authorities, powers are subjected to Christ, who now ascends to the right hand of God. Our Christian hope, which empowers us to endure unjust suffering for righteousness, is firmly grounded in Christ's resurrection and victory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul also affirms that because of Christ's resurrection, his triumph, our ministry and labor for Christ, including our endurance during, uh, during unjust suffering for his sake, is not in vain. It says that, and if Christ have, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, who gives us 
gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your neighbor is not in vain. Let me conclude. Uh, there is a letter. There is a letter about our only Christian brothers and sisters, which perfectly sums up uh, what we have been thinking about today. The letter was written nearly 1,900 years ago, and you will see it on the screen. And it'd be wonderful if we could read it together, if you are able. Right, let's just start. For the Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe. For they do not inhabit their own cities or use a peculiar form of speech or lead a life which is marked out by any strange behavior. But they display to us their wonderful and truly striking method of life. They live in their own countries but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Brothers and sisters, we are both residents and sojourners in this world. As residents, we try to be faithful members of this society. However, as sojourners, we lead lives distinct from others in this world. And one notable difference is that we endure all things as if we were foreigners. Through our endurance of such suffering without losing heart, we reveal our Christian hope to the world anchored in Christ's death and resurrection. And we are called it to, to that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with humble hearts, acknowledging your call for us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus our Lord. He endured unjust suffering and willingly gave his life for unrighteous people like us. We pray that you grant us the courage and strength to continue walking the path of righteousness unshaken in the face of trials. Please empower us to manifest our hope in you to the world through our endurance during unjust suffering for the sake of righteousness. We pray that our endurance be a shining testament to your love and hope, inspiring others to draw closer to your divine presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.